The X-Zone radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. Toll-free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. My guest this hour is Thomas Rosetto. Uh, he has a degree in electrical engineering with an emphasis in computer programming. And about three years ago, Thomas became interested in 2012 after attending a public lecture about science and myth. As a part of the lecture, the topic 2012 was presented, but not in a very clear way. Uh, Now, Thomas started to do his own research and quickly found the work of John Major Jenkins and the Galactic Alignment. But this galactic alignment already happened in 1998, so... Thomas spent months digging and uh, searching for the real reason that the Maya picked that exact date of the winter solstice of 2012. Now, after two years of research and contemplation, Thomas wrote a book entitled Mystical 2012, Did the Maya Shamans Discover a Mystical View of Reality? Today, Thomas joins me, and we're going to be discussing his latest essay entitled, Did Extraterrestrials Create the Maya Calendar? And Thomas Rosetta, welcome to the Exxon. Uh, thanks for having me, Rob. Tell me, um, how did you feel when you discovered that the galactic alignment actually happened in 1998 and not in 2012? I'll tell you, that was an interesting moment because it, it just kind of gnawed away at my stomach. John Major Jenkins is an excellent guy, very bright, very knowledgeable. And that astronomy that he presents is accurate. It does really happen. But it peaked in 1998. And so I had to think, could the Maya be that good that they hit the exact day of the winter solstice? 
but hit the year of 2012 when they were actually aiming for 1998. And I kept saying, no, there's something else. There's something else. But what is it? I didn't know what it was, so I, I dug for months. Without spilling the beans on the rest of the hour, what did you find? Well, you know, one of the first things I had to dig into was the long count calendar was put into place over 2,000 years ago, and yet they restart the calendar exactly mm -hmm. on that winter solstice. And I had to think, well, if the Maya intentionally restarted the long count calendar on the winter solstice of 2012, they would have needed to know the length of the year. That's the amount of time from the moment of the winter solstice to the next moment of the winter solstice the year later. They needed to know that within 45 seconds. Wow. This is like measuring the width of the United States to within 20 feet or the distance from Los Angeles to Tokyo to within 40 feet. In terms of a percentage, it's 99.999, four nines after the decimal point. Correct. Could the Maya have done this without telescopes or sophisticated mm. instruments? I sat on that question for a long time. All right, we're going to ask you to sit on that question uh, for another two minutes. We've got to take our first commercial break. Thomas, thanks very much for joining us. This is going to be a very interesting hour, Exxon Nation. Thomas Rosato is our special guest, and uh, his website is www.2012essays.com. That's www.2012essays.com. Thomas will be back with me on the other side of this two-minute commercial break. And you're listening to the Exxon Radio and TV show, live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, and Exxon TV. My name is Rob McConnell. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with our guest this hour discussing, did extraterrestrials create the Maya calendar? Thomas Rosetto is our special guest, www.2012essays.com. Don't go away. We'll be back in two minutes. I wonder if the Maya had a calendar girl. Hmm. I wonder if the Mayan, uh, the Mayan mechanics had uh, calendar girls in their uh, lockers. You never know these days. Joining me is Thomas Rosato. We're talking about did extraterrestrials create the Maya calendar? And before we went to the commercial break, uh, Thomas, you gave us a statistic uh, that the Maya were right within 45 seconds that is, the length of the year. how did they do yeah. it? You know, how could they do it without telescopes, without computers? Like, it sounds as if it's totally impossible, and yet they did it. Yeah, and um, some people even criticize that they did it at all, saying that it's just a coincidence. 
you know, and I'd like to address that first real quick. Sure, go right If out. the Maya were Christian and the calendar restart on Christmas Day, mm-hmm. we would have no doubt that they did it intentionally. And so when we examine the culture of the Maya, we see that the day of the winter solstice is celebrated as one of the most important days of the year. I'm not going to say it's the most, mm-hmm. but, you know, they celebrate the day where the length of the day starts to go longer. So it connects with our folklore, and it seems pretty clear that they did focus on that date. And when we see the astronomy that's in the sky, we'll know that even better. And I've heard people say that the calendar doesn't restart on that day. It starts on a different day or many years later. Well, there was a project that lasted 45 years from 1905 to 1950 called the Correlation Project, where they correlated our calendar with the Maya calendar. And it's beyond a reasonable doubt that our calendar does connect with that winter solstice of 2012 as the restart date of that calendar. You know, you, you so anyway, brought, back you, to your question. You Please? brought up a very interesting point that if the Maya, or if it was Christians who made the statement about 2012, it would be accepted, but because it was the Mayans, it scoffed. And you know, that that is so ludicrous. It's crazy. Well, I just meant it if they yeah. restarted it on Christmas Day. Right, exactly. Their own Christmas Day, you know. And so, to them, the winter solstice was kind of like a Christmas exactly. day. Exactly. You know. You know, and so uh, it did have meaning for them, and and um, they picked it, and um, so uh, so yeah. Do you want to go into uh, your question about that precision of that forty-five I'd, seconds? How I'd that love was to done? because that that's boggling my mind. And uh, my producer just sent me a note on the IM over here saying, "How could they do it, Rob? No telescopes, yeah. no science, uh, uh, nothing." I was I was very open to the idea that it would have been extraterrestrials or advanced humans from Atlantis that had, you know, made it through some kind of turmoil that had, you know what I'm saying. Sure do. I was very open to that. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm still pretty bolted to the science, you know. And so what I found out fairly recently by reading John Major Jenkins' book, The 2012 Story, I think it was in Chapter 6, he talks about an archaeologist named Marion Hatch. Mm-hmm. And she did some work on a site called La Venta, which is just north of where the Long Count calendar was created. And the archaeology in this region goes back 3,000 years, and it shows that they aligned their temples to the stars. And, the, and what they did was, if you go out at night mm-hmm. and you spend more than a couple hours, you start to notice that around the North Star, all the stars are circling the North Star. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. And so if you're closer to the equator like the Maya were, you can see that effect fairly easily, and you can build a building that lines up and points right to that center Mm -hmm. that everything spins around. And so they did that 3,000 years ago. Now, it wasn't the Maya. It was the precursor to the Maya, either the Olmec or the precursors to the Olmec. I'm not really sure. But they had their temple set up to point to that center of the sky that it circled around. And after about 50 or 100 years, they started noticing that it was pointing to a different star. So they became aware of procession, and they started to count, and they started to count the days. And since that um, 3,000-year-old site was counting the days and the calendar wasn't put into place until around 2,000 years ago, you have about a 1,000-year period of gathering data. So they're not trying, like if you and I, Rob, were to go outside and go, okay, now let's pick that moment of the winter solstice. It's right now. Oh, no, no, it's right now. You know, we wouldn't be able to do it with naked eye astronomy. However, what they were really doing was they were finding the day that the winter solstice occurred on by looking for the day of the lowest sun in the horizon, you know, uh, I'm sorry, not in the horizon, but in the highest point that it reaches during the day, right, the longest shadow that it makes. And they would note that day, 
and then they would count the number of days for the next time it did that and count the number of days for the next time. And they kept doing it. So they weren't counting just the days of one year. They were counting the days that made 100 years or 500 years or 1,000 years. And they knew how many days that was. And so if they needed to know how many days it was for 2,000 years, they would just simply double those days. And they didn't need to have a, a clock or, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, like an atomic uh, accurate clock. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do, especially since when you look at the map of the world, you know, you're looking at at where the Maya are compared to where the, the, the pyramids of Giza are, and you're, you're both in the proximity of the Tropic of Cancer. Um, the Maya are pretty far down, you know, I think it's like 15 degrees is mm-hmm. their latitude. Yeah. And I don't know what Cairo is. But it's still in the same proximity. Like, you, you, both of them could easily, can uh, easily do the same thing. Both using Yeah, pyramids. it actually could be done, yeah. um, from quite a bit of the globe. It starts to be difficult, uh, I think, when you get into certain yes. areas. I'm not sure, but, um, but they were well suited to do this. And so, with the whole point of my essay was that mm-hmm. with a thousand years of data, this actually becomes doable. If you were to limit me to 200 years data, because I sat on this for a long time going, well, if I was really able to track the length of the shadow as it went through on that day and watch that pattern carefully, I might be able to say, well, you know, the winter solstice was right near high noon, or the winter solstice was near dawn, or the winter solstice was near midnight. But I wouldn't be able to do it much more accurately than that, in my opinion. I just... You know, they have these types of tools in Europe, in these um, cathedrals. They have these big, giant, uh, I, I guess they're about a meter in diameter, these big windows that mm-hmm. would cast this beam of light from the sun down onto the floor. And the, the priest and the astronomers would watch that beam go across the floor. And the church was interested in doing this because they were trying to find the, the um, equinox in spring so they could pick the correct date for Easter. And so they had these things. These are called solar observatories. And so the Maya could have set up something very similar. Very low tech. And the bigger the scale, the better your accuracy. Is, isn't there a correlation between a solar observatory and um, Stonehenge? In a way, I'm not an expert in Stonehenge at all, but I understand that they have uh, the ability to um, show when the mm. winter solstice is. That's fairly simple. It may be even more than that on Stonehenge. I don't know. So basically, the early Maya were just sky watchers. Yes, and they like to tell stories. And one of the things about watching the sky year after year is that um, you see repeated patterns. Mm -hmm. And so in the summertime, they could see this certain section of the sky that had these bright lights, these really faint lights. I call them bright lights, but they're faint lights, but they're all grouped together. So it's a Milky Way, the center of the Milky Way, this bulge. And they made a story about that bulge. And they said that bulge was like the pregnant belly of the mother of creation. And in that section, there's a dark area that intrudes into it. And they call that the dark rift. And they call that the birth canal. So this is very beautiful storytelling. It's not meant to be factual. It's not meant to explain really creation. But it's just storytelling. And the sun happens to travel through there along with all the planets. The sun travels through that section once a year. This is due to the orbit of the Earth around the sun. And so when the sun is in the birth canal, the sun can be said to be reborn. Do you see what I'm saying? I sure do. Yeah, and then the, plus the winter solstice is also said to be a solar rebirth because the length of the day now starts to get stronger, starts to get longer. So the sun is reborn on the winter solstice. And then, of course, every day the sun was said to die when it set, and it was 
dead in the underworld during the night. And then in the morning, you know, it was reborn at sunrise. So back then, 2,000 years ago, when the calendar was put into place, the sun was in the dark rift in late November. And so the question that they were asking themselves back then was, what year in the distant future will the sun be in the dark rift on the same day as the winter solstice? And these two rebirths will come into focus. They'll come into the same day. And on that day, we'll have a triple rebirth of the sun because, of course, we get to add the daily sunrise. So that was the driving question behind the creation of the long count calendar. When will there be a triple rebirth of the sun? The answer is not only 2012, but many years around 2012 because it changes so slowly. The earth is wobbling like a top, very slowly, one wobble every 26,000 years, you know. So it's very slowly changing that focus. So for, I'm going to say, 50 to 100 years, there are days around 2012 where the sun is in the middle of the dark rift on the same day as the winter solstice. So the Maya had to ask a little bit deeper, why 2012? Were you going to ask a question? No, I'm listening intently. Ah, okay. Um, so I dug out into that for a long time, because I found the triple rebirth of the sun fairly quickly. And then after I found it, I found out that John Major Jenkins also talks about it. But he focuses so much on the galactic alignment, it's very hard to get him to talk about um, this triple rebirth of the sun. Mm -hmm. So I, I kept looking at, well, what's in the sky over the Maya on this day of the winter solstice of 2012? So I pulled it up on my astronomy program, and there in the sky over them at high noon, is the sacred tree, and I'll explain what that is. There's a horizontal crossbar constructed of planets in the sun, and I'm going from left to right. We have mm -hmm. Mars, then we have Pluto, then we have the sun, then we have Mercury, and then all the way on the right, we have Venus. Venus on the right, Mars on the left, and the sun is almost exactly in the middle of those. That makes a horizontal crossbar that I call the crossbar of light. Because those objects, we'll have to ignore Pluto because Pluto is not really seen with the naked eye. I just mentioned it because it is actually there. I call that the crossbar of light because the objects there either reflect or give off light. Now, of course, the sun gives off the most light by far. And it is the guest of honor. This is like a parade. Venus is leading this parade across the sky throughout the day. Now, in addition to this horizontal crossbar, we have a somewhat vertical crossbar. It's actually at high noon. It's slanted over to the left by about 30 degrees. And this is the dark rift of the Milky Way that I told you about. This I call the crossbar of darkness because the dark rift is dark. And that crossbar is the trunk of the tree of life. The Maya called this cross the tree of life. It has many names. And it's the tree of light. Let's hold it right there. I've got to take my news break. The tree, break, of, Tom. Life. The tree, the of, tree life. of life. Any, uh, yes. any correlation between the Maya Tree of Life and the Tree of Life in the Garden of Eden? Answer that question we can, when we come back from this news break, Thomas. Thomas Rosetto is our special guest, www.2012essays.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our broadcast studios on the mountain in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away now. Exxon Broadcast Network.
Coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to call Rob Worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. That's toll free, 1-800-610-7035. Send Rob an email, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, you can always chat with Rob during the broadcast by using the Hotmail address, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com and our new website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. Now here's the host of the Xzone Radio and TV show, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is The Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. My special guest this hour is Thomas Rosetto. And we're talking about, did extraterrestrials create the Maya calendar? Thomas's website is www.2012essays.com. All right, Thomas, continue, because uh, we're getting a totally different picture than what a lot of people would like us to believe. For example... The actual galactic alignment that everyone is fearing in 2012 actually happened in 1998. It it seems that there is a connection not only with the Maya and the the tree of life that they talked about in the sky, but also there's a tree of life in the Bible in the Garden of Eden. What's the, is there a connection here? I don't know. I I really don't know what to say about Mm -hmm. that. Um, they also refer to this tree as the sacred tree. Um, but it, it comes about from, for the Maya, from the astronomy. When you watch the sky, mm-hmm. as much as they did, that strip of the Milky Way, as you know, we're in the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is very flat, like a pancake. And so when we look in certain directions, we'll see that strip all the way around us. And when we look towards the center, we'll see the brightest section of it. And so that circle of light has been turned into many uh, metaphors, one of them being the snake that eats its own tail, which goes back probably all the way to Egypt, Hmm. maybe even before the Ouroboros. Um, But that circle of light is also complemented by another circle, and that circle is the road that the planets and the sun travel on. As you know, the solar system is also flat, reasonably flat, not perfectly. So that means that from Earth 
whenever we see a planet, it has to be on that flat plane. And that also makes a circle. Those two circles are not both flat together. They're tilted at 60 degrees. And the crossing of those two circles is the crossing that we're talking about in this region near the center of the Milky Way galaxy. The, the um, sacred tree in the sky at high noon over the Maya on December 21st, 2012, that horizontal crossbar is that plane of the solar system, what the uh, astronomers call the ecliptic. That's the horizontal one. The dark rift is the one that's tilted to the left by 30 degrees. That's the galactic equator or the Milky Way. And that X is going to be uh, observed by any sky watchers that spend time out there. They're going to notice that section of the sky. It's very distinct. It's going to attract their attention, and they're going to make stories up about it. That's what the Maya did. But another thing about that tree that I want to point out is how big it is. Um, if you hold your arms at full arm's length with your hands fanned open as mm -hmm. far as they can, putting your thumbs next to each other, and put the sun Imagine that you're looking at the sun at high noon on the winter solstice. Put the sun right where the tips of your thumb meet. Your left hand, your left pinky, will be where Mars is. And your right pinky will be where Venus is. So see, that's a pretty big chunk of the sky. So you've got this big cross with the sun right in the middle of the crossing point of the cross, in the sky over the Maya on that day. And yet, at high noon, you won't be able to see it. If you look up there, it'll be so bright, all you'll see is the sun. So... Some people say, well, it couldn't really mean anything because they can't see it. And I try to underline everything with what the Maya could see with their eyes, their naked eyes. And the thing is, what you realize is before dawn on that day, at a quarter to five in the morning is when Venus rises. At a quarter to five in the morning, it's pitch black. And Venus, I checked the magnitude of Venus on this day because it changes. Sometimes Venus is not as bright. Sometimes it's brighter. It's really bright. This is going to just blaze at a quarter to five in the morning when Venus rises. And then a little later... Mercury will rise. You don't always see Mercury. Mercury's hard to see because it's so near the sun. Yet on this day, unless it's cloudy, you will be able to see Mercury rise. So this is a parade with Venus leading the parade. The guest of honor is coming next at 6.30 in the morning. The sun rises. That's the guest of honor. It's about to have the triple rebirth of the sun. And as that parade raises higher and higher, then I think it's around 8.30 or so, Mars rises above the horizon. And then it gets higher and more towards the south, and then right there at high noon is the peak with that horizontal crossing. And then in the afternoon, the parade continues and goes down towards the west. And then Venus will set, Mercury will set, the sun will set, and after the sun sets, the sky will start to get dark, and we'll be able to see Mars with our naked eye ending the parade. So we will be able to see significant portions of the sacred tree on this day, exactly, in the sky over them. I absolutely, completely mind-blowing. Where did the belief that December the 2012th, I'm sorry, December the, the, the uh, 21st, 2012, is going to be the doomsday, the end of the world, where did this <laughs> myth come from? You know what's really funny is that uh, John Major Jenkins tells the story of one of the first Maya experts that went down there and mm -hmm. started looking at this calendar. And when he realized that the correlation you know, was coming up soon, you know, that this, this long count calendar was going to restart, he fairly, it was tongue-in-cheek is the speculation. Oh, it's probably the end of the world. And yet it hooked in and it kind of, I don't know, uh, I guess there is a subset of our culture that's afraid of things that they don't know. And so that the worst was laid on top of it, and it just kind of amplified itself. 
But the Maya themselves were not really saying that it's the end of the world. They were thinking of rebirth. The sun is being reborn three times, and the calendar itself is being reborn on that day. So um, just like every moment is being reborn, you know, how does one moment turn into another moment? The Maya were very, very deep thinkers, and I think that they want us to think about these questions of the rebirth of time. Here we have yet another moment, and yet we have these rhythms of nature that unfold. It's all very fascinating. Basically, it's like what we do on January the 1st, take down the old calendar, put up the new one. I think so. I think so. And um, there's um, there's a lot to be said with that reflection. You can do it any day. You can do it in every mm-hmm. moment. But it's nice to have a like a birthday or something where you sit back and take a look at what's going on, you know. And I'd also like to point out that there's other things that support the idea that this astronomy is indeed what they were talking about. Um, the birthplace of the long count calendar is a place called Izapa, Mexico, which is the all the way down on the southernmost tip of Mexico is a small little town of Izapa, I-Z-A-P-A, not Xapa, which is up the coast. This little tiny place is where the long count calendar, the oldest known carvings of long count calendar dates are carved. And there's a sacred ceremonial site in Izapa. What's most amazing, in this site, they seem to have carvings that are, they have carvings of the tree. It's actually a tree, and it's the sacred tree. And so when you understand that the sacred tree is an astronomical thing, you start to understand this sacred site, and you've got to have some pretty important messages in the site. You're not just going to, you know, put anything frivolous in there. Sure. It's important, right? And so another thing that they put in was images of their solar god, their sun god, in the mouth of a toad. And this mouth is seen as the dark rift area. So they say that the sun is in this dark rift, and the stila, the stone carving that this is, cut on is facing the exact spot on the horizon where the sun will rise on the winter solstice. So the combination of the position of the stone and the content of the stone is talking about this triple rebirth of the sun. They also repeat this a message again on the ball court. This, they have this long skinny ball court, which is like the long skinny Milky Way. And in the middle of this Milky Way are these little goals, these stone rings. That's the dark rift in the middle of the Milky Way. And the ball, which is the sun, is meant to go through the middle of this ring. So you would, and this long court points again to the section of the horizon where the sun rises on the day of the winter solstice. So you have this triple rebirth of the sun being underlined yet again. Do we as a race, modern day humans, like to complicate things more complicated than they really are? Do we have a knack for, for uh, you know, ignoring the simplistic way of looking at things? And is this a part, and is this because of the society we live in now? I think so. I think so. And, and with... Um they call it the rat race, right? Yeah. <laughs> the Joneses and all of this. And, and you kind of lose the touch of that rhythm of life, how beautiful it is. And what's really interesting is that all of these rhythms, the rhythms of the moon, the rhythms of the year, the rhythms of the day, I mean, they even knew, they saw the sun as being born like a baby in the morning and getting stronger in the, in the morning hours and then reaching its peak in the day, you know, and then getting weaker in the afternoon and then dying. Much know? like the four Every seasons. Day, much like the four seasons. Yes, exactly. And so they see these rhythms, and these rhythms affect the behavior of the animals, the behavior of the birds, the behavior of the fish, you know. And so, like, for example, when the moon is full, you'll 
or new, you will have your highest and lowest tides. Mm-hmm. And when the moon is half illuminated, you have your, your lesser tides. And so that can affect um, what happens down at the tide pools. And so there's an effect on what happens here. You know, the flowers, some of them open when the sun comes out and close when the sun sets. So you see this direct effect between these rhythms of nature, these astronomical rhythms in nature. So I think I'm not an astrologer, and I don't go into that area. I think that there's... Um, that we are not controlled by the position of the planets. But someone could say, where does it stop? If the planets are here, does that change how, what happens on Earth and if the planets are there, etc.? You know what I'm saying. Sure do. Where does the idea that extraterrestrials had something to do with the Maya calendar then? It's such a long calendar. I mean, no one that I know of has a calendar that has a cycle of 5,125 years. And that's such an odd length because... I knew that people were linking it to procession, and I knew that procession is roughly 26,000 years. And I was looking at that number going, I was expecting the processional cycle to be cut into four, just like we, our year is cut into four, and our day naturally divides into four. I was expecting this to be cut into four. But for some reason, the mind had this length that's one-fifth. Not only that, it's within um, one, I think it's, uh, I think it's right about a half of a percent. Maybe a little bit more than that. But anyway, it's very, very close to that processional cycle. And they have a symbol of a five-pointed star taking into account all five passages of a 5,125-year cycle over and over and over again five times. And then it starts over again. And um, it's very interesting about this. Another thing I'd like to tie in is in Azapa, in the sacred ceremonial site, not only do they have the astronomy, um, they also have the toad. They have this toad which lives for 30 years and it has these glands on its back that excrete these chemicals mm-hmm. that are psychedelic and the shamans kept these toads as pets yeah they used to look and yeah, they yeah. actually i think made a drinking um potion out of it and they i saw this one artifact it's a ceramic it's a toad but on the back of the toad is a glass so i think they put this fluid in that glass and drank it some people say they smoked it but um What's interesting about this is these toads were so important to them. Not only did they make it into the sacred ceremonial site, they were buried. When they died, they were buried all together. And so the archaeologists found these burial sites of these, these toads, and they dated the burial site 3,000 years old. Some people are saying even 4,000 years old, but let's just say three. And that means that the shamans had about a 1,000-year period of using these psychedelics before the calendar was put into place. So this, I think, has to tie into their rebirth metaphor. Um, the sun is being reborn. Why would that attract attention? Because, this, as you know, the sun doesn't really die and the sun doesn't really be reborn. The sun just sits out in space and shines. So why are they so excited about this rebirth? Well, I think they were using it as a metaphor for us as humans that we can be reborn, spiritually reborn, and awaken to things beyond the physical world. And I think that that toad was so important to that process that that's why the toad is in the sacred ceremonial ground. That gives a different concept on why when you kiss a frog, it turns into a prince, a psychedelic effect. <laughs> that's, that's very interesting. I hadn't thought yeah. about that. <laughs> yes. Let's go kiss a frog and get stoned. Stand by, Thomas. <laughs> you and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be back on the other side. Exxon Nation, Thomas Rosato is our special guest www.2012essays.com www.2012essays.com 2012essays.com. Like I've been saying since this whole 
thing started with Doomsday 2012. It's just going to be like good old Y2K and the hype that happened there. Nothing is going to happen. December the 22nd is going to come along. December the 23rd, 24th, 25th, and away we go. Don't get sucked in. Yeah. Yeah, when I are in the, sometimes I have an audience that's uh, live presentations that I do, mm-hmm. and they're really hooked into it's going to be uh, a new transformation of world peace, and I hope it is, but I don't see that, and I say that it's uh, decoupled from that. The Maya, we're totally using a timeless metaphor of awakening. All right, stand by, Thomas. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Well, we've answered that age-old question. Where did the person, or how did the person get the warts on the end of his tongue? Well, now we know from trying to lick a psychedelic frog. 1-800-610-7035, worldwide, toll-free. Email exxonexxonradiotv.com and our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. Thomas Rosato is our special guest, and we're talking about Did Extraterrestrials Create the Maya Calendar?, and I would assume, Tom, after speaking to you this hour, that the answer is, eh, nope. I'm with you, Rob. Um, I'm not saying that I've proven the thesis of ancient aliens to be false. Mm-hmm. Not at all. I haven't gone to that point. It's just that they're not required to make this calendar. What the Maya were able to use was that thousand years of data before they put the calendar in use about 2,000 years ago. That thousand years of data was excellent. And that allowed them to project the shifts that were needed uh, to tell exactly when the sun would be in the middle of the dark rift on the winter solstice of 2012, right in the sky, right over them, making that beautiful sacred tree. And um, it's quite amazing, but it's doable. It takes a lot of work, but they did it. Whatever happened to the Maya? They seem to have been a very intelligent race, very uh, intelligent and advanced civilization, and yet they crumbled to pieces. Well, you know... I think perhaps around 900 A.D., there's various different theories about what happened to them. Uh, drought might have led to famine. Famine may have led to war and great disharmony in the region. Um, for example, uh, a lot of them lived in the cities, and um, the city doesn't produce its own food. So uh, if there's a problem with food supply, the cities are going to be immediately abandoned, just like our cities would be if uh, you know, the trucks stopped showing up at the grocery stores. You know, we, there wouldn't be a whole lot happening in the cities. Um, and then 
as you know, in around 1550 when the Spanish came in, uh, there was another heavy hit on their culture. They were beginning to get more back on their feet, I think, but um, that was a very, very difficult thing for them. And there are still millions. I hear the estimate is about 5 million Maya in the region. Uh, but they don't practice their same culture, and they've been somewhat disconnected from. They certainly didn't have the long count calendar. The long count calendar was stopped, I think, around the 1700s. I think there were still long count calendar counters, and uh, but that stopped. And so I think the folklore was a little more disconnected from what it was before. I'm not really sure, but um, yeah, we're left with little to work with. So tell me, what's, what are you going to do after December the 21st, 2012? What's your next project going to be? Well, I have a, a lot of work on spiritual, mystical spirituality, mm-hmm. and uh, some of those ideas are in my book, Mystical 2012. And so I'll just um, kind of filter out the uh, Maya part and just develop more of the mystical spirituality. Hey, Thomas, you and I have to say so long for now, but it's always great talking to you, and I look forward to the next time you and I meet here in the Exxon. But until then, tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and where they can get a copy of your book. Mystical2012.com. You can actually read the whole book on the website. You can even print it out for free, and you can buy a copy at Amazon.com. All right, Thomas, take care of yourself. Nice talking to you, and uh, we look forward to talking to you as we get closer to 2012. Okay, excellent. Thanks, Rob. Hey, and listen, don't lick any frogs, okay? All right. All right. Exonation, Thomas Rosetto has been my guest. www.mystical2012.com and www.2012essays.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues right here from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. <laughs> 